Welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Joey. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I got one small favor that I want to ask from you to show your support for this show. It's really one tiny little gesture to say that you appreciate us putting these discussions out there into the world. Here's the big ask. Simply hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. That one little gesture goes a long way. The Jungle Brothers, thank you. Today, I'm joined by Kashi Azad. Kashi is a friend and a strength enthusiast who is sharing an ancient form of strength and conditioning from his mother country of Iran with people around the world. It's known as Persian yoga. Now, before you make any judgments about what Persian yoga is, let me tell you that it's starkly different from what we would call yoga here in the West. Kashi first appeared on the show back at episode 82, where he detailed how this system of strength was born from a culture at war for thousands and thousands of years. Please go back and check out episode 82 if you haven't. It was a hell of a chat and a walk through time. It was an honor to have Kashi back in the gym today. We discussed all things strength, both of body and spirit, as well as the current female-led revolution, which is happening in his mother country of Iran right now. Please enjoy today's episode. brother welcome back to the show it's great to be back here with you i love what you've done with the space since i was here last bro thank you yeah man i i love having you in the gym thank you so much you have like an energy that sort of hangs around you and uh, i don't know it's a special thing thank you brother it's my art i really believe that yeah 100 percent. tell me more about that well you have had experience with it uh, you have had the experience with pahlavani or persian yoga as i call it yeah and uh you know you become the embodiment of the warrior. It is a warrior art. So you become the embodiment of that. And in our art, as I explained to you last time I was here, there are seven physical practices, but there are also seven spiritual practices. And to really complete that uh, warriorhood or knighthood or warriorhood, you know, you need to address both aspects. And I've immersed myself in it, and I feel I feel the benefits. I feel the benefits uh, physically. I feel the benefits mentally, spiritually. It's the whole thing, emotionally. You know. Do you think that with with that kind of thing, it's it's easy for people to focus just on the physical aspect of it? Definitely, especially in um, a Western context. You know, uh, I do. As I mentioned to you last time, I grew up in the West. I, there's so many things I've learned and I love about this culture. And vis-a-vis the Eastern culture where I was born into and uh, grew up, and I hold it very dear to my heart, the Persian culture, you know. There is pros and cons, as with everything else. In the East, perhaps, if I oversimplify, they really perhaps went deep into spirituality, where in the West it is much more into... Um, materiality materialism in a way yeah okay? but economics not in, necessarily in a, sense, a negative technology yeah development yeah you know? it's not necessarily a negative thing but it's just like it has its drawbacks end. yeah for sure both are, both do yeah you know and 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 so to be able to bridge that and stand with one foot in both worlds is very empowering yeah you know? do you find that um some people don't know how to take that side of you because it's not like say the, the, this idea of like 
leading with the heart, right? Mm. Thanks for remembering. Yeah, it's it's not something that is uh, it, it's not part of the Western culture, right? It is a little bit uh, woo woo to us as a as a concept. Um, I said that you know when you're in the gym, there's like an energy that's around you. People must feel that, but they'd be like, "Man, that Kashi guy, he's he's a funny dude. Like, what's going on there?" People either they love me or they hate me. Yeah, right. You know, but uh, what what I was saying in uh, regards to the Western context and Western Western culture. It is becoming more integrated, as you say. It, it is becoming more. People are seeking that; they are hungry and thirsty for that, you know. And uh, it is definitely, I, I can see that, and that more and more people are, you know, acknowledging that ancient wisdom, ancient knowledge. There's something to it, and they they are seekers. You know, we're all seekers. Doesn't matter which culture we come from. The fundamental uh, aspect of being human is uh, seeking knowledge about yourself and about the world around you you know so it's definitely not the first thing but it is something that is developing and people are like seeking that more and more okay how is persian yoga going really great i'm very happy the direction it's going ever since the COVID, lockdown, and all these things really made me take a different direction. Yeah. And I really pushed more uh, online, and it's working for me. So I'm very happy. I can reach more people. You know, it's still very niche, and it's still very, um, uh, you know, for the seekers. And it's really easier to find them in the wide world through the internet than it is if I uh, restrict myself to a geographical area. Yeah. Yeah. You go to a gym, try to connect with the people there. Chances are, it's going to be hard to find someone. Versus putting it out online, you can access many yeah, people. And, and I mean, uh, you have had the interaction with it. You know, it looks easy, but it isn't. It's simple, but yeah. it's not easy. You know, and, uh, and perhaps like in the first, uh, you know, by judging through the eyes, they will say, "Yeah, I can do that." You know. So it's easy to dismiss it, but it's when you have had the taste and when you like really immerse yourself with it, you can see that wow, there's so much more. And I've been really happy uh, the way that I've been able to uh, reach my people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you're on the show um, way back, do me a favor, just bring that mic a little bit closer to your to your face there. Yeah. Um, you got a voice, man. I don't want I don't want people to not capture all of the the energy there. When we had you on the show last time, you were talking about how you were essentially trying to share the message of Persian yoga in the Oceania region. Is that right? Well, I was mandated by being the development officer in Oceania from the International Zurkhan Sports Federation. Uh, this is the federation that oversees the arts and their mission, as I mentioned last time, is to make this art a global art, but also uh, the mission is to make it part of the Olympics. And uh, there are certain criteria to fulfill to, be, to do that. So I was mandated by uh, expanding the art uh, in here. Since then, there has been a lot of uh, change and there's been a lot of things happening in Iran, you know, as you may know. And uh, I have really taken my own trajectory with that. Tell me about that. Well, uh, you know, I realized that I don't want to work within the constraint and context of... Uh, the Islamic regime and for them 
I find them, you know, it's a gender apartheid, a gender apartheid regime. They're very antagonistic towards women, and uh, a big kind of uh, schism arose, arose between me and that federation because I was openly sharing this art with women. Mm. As you know, uh, this is uh, yoga in general is was not shared with women, even Indian yoga. In it, it was meant for men. Okay. In, in its early history. And so is it with uh, Pahlavani or Persian yoga. It's an art made by men for men. But there has been historically many uh, female Pahlavans or, um, you know, knights. This is our term for a knight or a warrior. It's a Pahlavan. That's what we call it. And there are many female examples uh, that have been very successful and uh, become like tremendous champions and renowned and you know uh, so on but in its uh, early history it wasn't meant for women and in Iran today they really like you know very very strict on that so when I started sharing that in a western context and I want to share it openly with everyone right so they created kind of a little bit of a problem between me and them so I decided to walk my own path and I've done that and I've kind of created uh, Persian yoga and pushed it in a way that it's open to everyone who want to learn. That's awesome. Can you talk on the, um, it's a really interesting topic, the, the Islamic regime that's currently in Iran, there's obviously been some huge sort of, uh, whatever you want to call it, atrocities going on lately. And there's a revolution, there's an ongoing revolution. Okay, can you talk about that? Uh, I can share with you uh, my understanding and my opinion about the situation. Uh, there are people that are much better, uh, would be much better to like talk about this, but we're having a conversation. So uh, essentially, people are fed up after 44 years of uh, Islamic regime, and they want secularism, they want freedom, and their slogan is woman, life, freedom. They want women to be respected, they want life to be respected, and they want freedom to be respected. None of these are currently uh, valued as it should be or respected as it should be in my beautiful country today. And uh, this is because, unfortunately, of a very extremist, conservative, and religious theocracy that is ruling the country with an iron grip. And that's been the case for four decades? Yeah, yeah, since okay. Basically, since I was born before the revolution, there, there was uh, there's there's been so many revolutions in Iran, but like I was born in seventy eight, and the seventy nine was the Islamic revolution that overthrew the last Shah or the king of Iran, and that was replaced with uh, they hijacked basically the situation, and uh, the Muslim extremists took over the country, and it's been going like that for the last four decades. Yeah. So prior to that. Um, or, or even even through this time, can you kind of paint a picture of? You know, you're obviously aware of how Muslim extremism is portrayed through the media in the West, and I think for the the majority of the majority of Australians say who don't really have much of an idea about the intricacies of these situations or the the nuances of these religious groups and whatnot, it tends to just move the 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 the, the group opinion towards. Muslims are crazy, Islam's bad, right? Look at what they're doing in places like Afghanistan, places like Iran. But, of course, there's many good Muslims out there that, you know, it's, it's a, from, what, from you know, some of my exposure to, to the religion, there is so much, so much beautiful stuff that comes from it. Um, can you talk on the relationship between the different religious groups 
maybe from when you were growing up and if that's been something that there's been like a has there been a symbiosis to that or has there always is there always is conflict always been a part of the okay this is a very very big topic and a very sensitive one I want to tread carefully because uh, I do respect uh, freedom of choice. This is uh, my fundamental belief, is uh, freedom and uh, your personal independence, your personal will to power what you want to achieve, this is up to you. And how you want to live your life, this is up to you. When it is enforced on others, this is when uh, it starts to head towards extremism. And unfortunately, that's the trajectory that they've been taking uh, in my country. And I'd say the government, not the people. It's very different. There's two different things. So uh, in its early history, uh, Iran was not Muslim. We were converted. And that conversion took uh, four to 600 years. This is in very, very ancient times. And uh, they really went their own trajectory and created an offshoot of Islam, which is referred to as Shia Islam. And that is the majority or main dominant religion in the country today. Mm-hmm. However, uh, the, it is a very multicultural and multi-religious society. Uh, we have um, you know, people who believe or still practice the ancient religion of Persians, that, which is Zoroastrianism and Mithraism. There are uh, the are they are they connected Mithraism and Zoroastrianism or are they kind they of grew out of each other. Okay, Zoroastrianism grew out of Mithraism. Mithraism is a very much older uh, tradition and religion. Yeah, and uh, obviously then uh, there are uh, outside of Israel the largest community of Jewish people in the Middle East live in Iran. So there are okay. Jews, there are Christians, there are uh, Buddhists, and there is a, a very multicultural society, and they are treated fairly. And it's not that they uh, bu- um, that they are like uh, oppressed specifically more than other groups. You know, everyone is oppressed equally. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so there is uh, that aspect to it, and in the trajectory that they've taken with regard to uh, extremism. My personal belief is that if any ideology, belief, system, tradition enables extremism, it's inherently inappropriate. You know, if it enables you, empowers you to, so that you can point to something and say, this gives me the power to oppress you, I do believe it's not conducive or not beneficial to progressiveness and evolution of human spirit and life yeah that's a that's a great way to put it absolutely and i i mean you know you, you touched on in your response that it's a really sensitive topic and i yeah i i definitely have to acknowledge that too because it's almost something that is in a lot of ways you can't talk about it in, in some ways, right? Like given, given the platform, it's like, fuck, just don't go there because, you know, you're going to offend somebody. But I think that even that, and, and particularly like using, say, um, uh, the Muslim ideology as an example, it lends itself then to people not knowing about it. It lends itself to, say, for, for a white Australian to just be uneducated and ignorant to, this, to a religion, that, a system that is followed by a huge amount of people in this world, right? Um, 
you know, we don't even have to acknowledge much all of the horrible shit that's been done through Christianity and, you know, like it's just extremism can, can pop up anywhere in any of these belief Whatever systems. Whatever ism. Yeah. Whatever ism, you know. Isms are inherently not conducive to uh, progressiveness and evolution of uh, human spirit and mind, you know. And I agree with you. It should not be uh, avoided. We should, in a way, confront this um, topics and talk about them, but in a compassionate and you know um, human way. Yeah, you know, uh, so that we can tear down the barriers or the taboos that preventing us to have a deeper understanding. This is, um, I think, very worthwhile uh, effort. But as I said, it's a huge, huge, vast, vast topic. So, in terms of like looking at a at a practical kind of I don't know, um, not solution, but a, a more positive outcome for Iran. Is there, I guess, is there more moderate um, Islamic ideologies that, you know, or is, it, or is it like a shift away from, like is your feeling that a shift away from Islamic ideology is what's needed or is it the case Definitely. that, no, it's just a non-extremist view? Definitely. The, the call, I mean, this is my personal view, secularism. You have to separate uh, religion and state. This is Okay, that's, I was going to ask, define secularism for me. Well, it is uh, that you are not guided by uh, religious principles. The, you are personally guided if you choose to, but it does not guide society. Right. You know, and yeah. I think that's, that's, it's like 21st century, you know what I mean? Like, Seems like a very rational way to exactly, do things. Exactly, right? So this is my personal view. I mean, as I said, the history of it is very convoluted. There are, uh, you know, intri- intrigues and uh, coup d'etats and CIA involvement and, you know, all these, like, different things that uh, affected the whole situation. But that revolution in 79 was hijacked by Muslim extremists. This is clear. And we have the result that we have today and how it affects the world at large and how it affects the population in that country is clear to see. The call of the people today is for a separation between religion and state and secularism and, uh, you know, they had enough of 40 years of oppression, religious oppression. They had enough, and I understand that. I mean, that's what caused me and my family to literally flee the country. And a lot of people uh, did the same, you know. There is a huge Iranian diaspora, and uh, there is a huge Iranian opposition. And unfortunately, they are not empowered because of economic interests. Today, there are uh, there has been an ongoing uh, sanctions on Iran, and there are huge amount of vast amount of Iranian assets that are frozen. These should be enabled to be used by the opposition groups. These should be enabled to be pumped back into the country in a way that it doesn't benefit the government, but that can support workers that are going on strike so that they can topple this current regime. As long as the West plays words and say that we support them, but then does business with the Islamic regime in the back end, they're still empowering them to be in power, you know. Yeah, and that's the that's how it's playing out at the moment. Yeah, economics reigns supreme. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the black gold is what what at the end of the day uh, funds these people. Yeah, right. 
and Iran's extremely rich in oil. Gas and other mineral resources, and yeah. it's a very, very rich country, you know. It's a very, very rich country. But, yeah, uh, I really sincerely hope that this will be the year that uh, we'll see the end of uh, religious extremism and the Islam- toppling of the Islamic regime. But nevertheless, the process has started. There is an ongoing revolution, the first female-led revolution on the planet. Wow. It is something. You know, it is something to be proud of. And uh, they are paying a very heavy price with their lives, essentially. You know, I don't know uh, how much you have heard and what you have seen, but it is very, very extreme situation. People are literally walking and chanting in the street and being met with bullets, guns, and tanks. You know, wow. So it's not an easy situation for them. That's why it's important to have their voices heard so that more people are aware, so that we can, in a... F- free countries such as Australia, where we have a democratic choice um, to select our leaders, we can influence them so that they are aware that we are supportive of the freedom movement and we want our representatives to pressure the ambassadors, pressure the um, representatives of the Islamic regime so that they know that this is unacceptable. I think that would be what we can do here right now. Do you think that um, it's the kind of, like it's going to, it will take conflict? And like obviously that's a, 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 like a political way to go about it, uh, you know, the, the pressure of the people and towards the representatives. But do you see that it has to, it's going to equal conflict and bloodshed in order for there to be a change? Or is it, can change such things... Easy, yeah? Change is not easy. No. And there's always um, conflict and confrontation. I mean, this is the law of nature. You know, for something new to evolve, the old must die. Yeah. Yeah, heavy. It is. It's very big and it's very heavy. What's your... Um, how does that make you feel like... What, you know, the thing I'm trying to touch on is, like, as an Australian, uh, you know, we've never had... There's never been any great changes politically. Like, it's just very fine over here, right? It's pretty much smooth seas. Even when it's like, fuck, liberals got in, it's like nothing changes, really, right? I understand. Um, very hard for me to imagine what it's like when the, to, you know, to kind of look at the place that I would call, like, the country that I'm from. Uh, you, you grew up in a... You, I grew up in Sweden. Okay, of course you did. So I was thinking I didn't want to put words in your mouth there. But when you look at that and it's like this turbulence, how does that make you feel about, like, you know, the motherland? Well, you know, coming from uh, Iranian culture, growing up in a Western society in Sweden, and I love that place, and in Australia, which is my home now, and I love this place, you know, it does make me sad that there is so much freedom here and there is actual people have a voice but they're nonchalant about it you know they don't use that opportunity and as you say you know i mean it is a little bit also i mean this is very very uh, again big and complex topic but uh, and very nuanced you know but to simplify it you know people are busy with their lives and with the economic situation that's going on right now people just trying to get by in a, in a lot of ways and you don't have time to 
care almost about what's going on outside of this bubble, you know? And that is a very privileged position to be in. It's overprivileged, you know? Uh, the ultimate privilege in many ways. Totally. Like, uh, when I migrated, my family migrated to Sweden, they did a psychological evaluation on us. And they concluded that we are war-damaged. This hmm. is the term that they used. That we've been, because there was a revolution and then there was a, a war between Iran and Iraq and we uh, went out of that, uh, we fled the country because of that. So in Sweden, they classified us as war-damaged. And I've said this before. I do believe that in ultra-safe societies as here, people are peace-damaged. You know, they have not had had this um, collective trauma, which you work on and you become more resilient and you grow of. And you know, they have not had that in a way. I mean, the COVID lockdowns was probably the closest thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Which is so ironic, right? Because we were all just buying more takeaway food and you know, whatever, sleeping in and enjoying Uber Eats and stuff. Like, you know, in a way, like, of course, it was awful for a lot of people here in Australia, but for the vast majority of here, our circle, it was like really like you can look back on it quite fondly. You had a chance to connect with your family more and, you know, sleep eight hours, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I, this is something that I grapple with in my mind all the time, like the lack of, the lack of struggle. I mean, this is, this is the whole basis of strength training, right? This is what we're trying to do in the gym. We're trying to recreate struggle so that we can actually be more human. Yes. And in a way, it's absurd because it's like we come to this place to simulate struggle so that we can go and feel better in our lives. And it actually works. You need that. You, know? you, need, you need resistance. I mean, that classic example of uh, the diamond, right? Built under pressure. 100%. But it's, um, you know, the... Sebastian Junger, I think I've referenced him speaking with you before, wrote a book called Tribe, which was essentially looking at how people that have gone through a collective struggle tend to have, like their fondest memories of the human experience are from those times of struggle. And he's reported this on people who have been stuck in horrendous situations in war, um, people who have been, who have experienced, um, you know, like carpet bombing of their city and had to hide underground for weeks months on end and how once they get out of those situations if they're lucky enough to and get back to comfortable society you know the soldier returns to life in america and everything's good they actually long to be back in the struggle because that was when they felt the most useful and fulfilled and alive yeah which is really kind of sad in a way because you think fuck like you know, we have all this angst, right? That, that, that privilege that we have where everything's fine and, you know, whatever, you can just focus on your next holiday and, you know, working and doing whatever you want to do on the weekend. It's like it comes at a cost. And the cost is, you know, mental health, spiritual fulfillment, you know, kind of. Yeah, I mean, that's the human paradox. It's too easy. You create problems, <laughs> you know. And that's very true in this uh, context in the Western society. They manufacture problems because they need that pushback so that they can rise and overcome. This is a human spirit, right? If it's not there organically, you invent it. Yeah. So how do you, you know, like with that in mind, what do you, how do you reconcile that? You know, like living here, having your time in Sweden, which, you know, I traveled in Sweden for a week or two. 
like seemed really well organized, very right. Like everything seems pretty fine there. Future society on the planet, you know. Sweden, right. Germany, Japan, these places are where societies should be heading, I believe. This is my personal opinion. But uh, to reconcile that with myself, I have a very, very strong connection to my roots and my culture. I uh, try to be as active and supportive of the cause that I believe in. And thankfully, I thank God every day, I have my art and I have my practice. And that builds strength for me, builds resilience for me, and feeds me that which my soul needs to grow and feel that I'm constantly growing and evolving. So I'm very grateful for it. Was that an intentional decision to to stay connected to those roots and to have that practice? Or was it something that you stumbled across and realized this is actually what I need? to feel completed or to feel alive? Uh, It's both. It's both, you know. Before I uh, embarked on the journey with Persian yoga, I I was still very connected to my roots and culture. And when I discovered Pahlavani, or Persian yoga as I call it, I saw something that was much deeper than the surface. I said there is something to this that I need to get into and delve into into that much further. And that was 17 years ago. And I've gone on that journey. I have never looked back. Uh, So uh, it kind of like was both going at the same time, you know, like two wheels on a bicycle. They're just like rolling at the same time and I'm going in that direction now. I hope that makes sense that I can... Yeah, it does. Yeah, sort of comes... Concurrently, it does. Like that's what organic growth is, right? So, but I have been very, very fortunate to find this treasure that keeps giving. The deeper you go into it, it's as you said with uh, resistance training. The more you uh, push and the more you drive, the more strength you get back. And that's a, that has been the journey for me. I wanted to ask on the. So something that I find, um, I was thinking about Persian yoga yesterday and I think about it a lot. I see your stuff on Instagram. I, I really like it. And, I, and I've, we've had some conversations about during the practice, which I've only done with you a couple of times, but what's always, of course, I like the training aspect of it, but what I also found quite fascinating and surprisingly so is some of the, the tributes to the spiritual side of it that occur throughout. And it's in some of the prayers that you'll make in the group before we start something. And, and they, I, I always really like them because they're, it's not like a prayer that you would hear if you went to a church, right? It's not, and I've, I've said this before, even Persian yoga, it doesn't, from our Western understanding of yoga, it just doesn't give it the weight that it, that it deserves because it, you know, we already have some kind of definition of that in our minds. Persian yoga is completely different. So I'm kind of making the same point with the prayer piece. Um, that has always fascinated me, the, the connection that it has and the, almost the way that it holds strength as a virtue and something that is not just physical, but it is something that is, it is spiritual. What I find, tr- what struck me as... Um, an awkward part of the practice is 
that it is exclusively for males traditionally. Can you talk on, and this is obviously, you know, you spoke about that, that it's, it, you've had some pushback from the, the governing bodies because you've been sharing it with women. Can you talk on how you see it and how, how you see it as a, as a relevant thing, given that it came from a practice for males, like for males, built by males, but you now see it as something that can be shared with all? Strength is universal. Strength and truth is what I believe, and this is uh, the first mantra. You use the word prayer. I prefer to use the word mantra. Mantra means words of power. These words of power that we use are meant to instill spiritual strength. And uh, the human being, this is in our context, In uh, when I say our, I mean Pahlavani or Persian yoga. In our context, we believe that humanity, human, a human, human being is body and spirit in one. Body is gross spirit. Spirit is subtle body. You are both. So you are the embodiment of your spirit. You need to strengthen both. You know? And this is um, a duality aspect of very ancient cultural beliefs. Okay? So that, I believe, is universal to the human experience. Strength and truth. And we aim to develop this in the body and in the spirit. Our main mantra is what you have heard I say before, is from strength, man and woman attain truth. This is our guiding principle. So it is not an ism. It is not groupthink. It is not compartmentalized and contextualized. It is universal. It is for everyone. And my personal belief and experience is that if you apply yourself, doesn't matter your gender, your background or ideology, you will attain this strength. You will attain this truth. And I am here to share that with everyone who seek it. So, as I said, you know, if we now go back in the uh, ancient history of this practice, which grew out of a warrior culture, a warrior culture that was matriarchal, not patriarchal. This is very, very unique if you think about uh, a Middle Eastern context. Okay, we spoke about the geopolitics um, briefly, and you said, you know, is that conflict ongoing? The conflict has been ongoing since day one over there, you know. And um, as I said, war and conflict is, in a way, the human way. So, um, will it stop? I hope so. Uh, is it going to stop? I don't know. Like probably not. Um, but we have to now look at that ancient um, culture that gave rose to these uh, ideas and ways of uh, being and thinking. It grew out of a matriarchal society where women were on equal footing with the men. And, and we know that because of archaeological evidence that the women were given the same burial rites as the men they were buried with their weapons. They were buried with their smoking pipes. Wow. 
and uh, they were buried with their war animals and artifacts. And so they were valued in equal way. And there are archaeological evidence and histories about these people that actually gave rise to mythologies that we believe in and are fascinated by today. I, uh, you mentioned my Instagram, and thank you for the compliment. Uh, I shared a, recently a topic that I've been uh, researching, and this is about a particular tribe or nation of Aryans or Iranians known as the, in the West, known as the Scythians, in Persian, known as the Saka. And uh, they were primarily, the Saka and the Parthians as well, I should mention, were pr- primarily where this culture came from, this Pahlavani culture came from. They referred to themselves as the Pahlavan, and other cultures around them referred to these people as the Pahlavans. And Pahlavani means the way of the Pahlavan, the way of these people. Right. And they were living in a matriarchal society, as I mentioned about the archaeological evidence that we found surrounding that. But they had a term for these women that uh, fought side by side with the men. And I should also add that uh, in that ancient context, education for boys and girls were the same. They were taught to shoot the bow, ride the horse, wrestle, and tell the truth. That was the equal education for boys and girls. And so these women that grew in that society were fierce warriors that were, would be lethal on a horseback. They would ride up to you, shoot at you, and then retreat and circle you. And they were very successful in their warfare. I've actually also found uh, out that the horse was domesticated in that region of the world. Hmm. Yeah? Geographically, right. that region of the world. So these were the original horse people. So these women... How far back are we going? Oh, we are going 4,000 to 8,000 years ago. Okay. This is very ancient. Yeah. This is very, very ancient. Uh, And so these women were referred to by the male warriors as hamazun. It's an ancient Persian word meaning of equal strength. That says something. And... When the Greeks fought the Persians and met these tribes of the Saka and the Parthians where the women are on the battlefield and for patriarchal Greeks in their society, women had no voting right. They were on equal footing as the slaves. So it's a very different culture, right? And they are met by women that are shooting them down. They hear this term, Hamazun, and this gives birth to the myth of the Amazon, which we are fascinated by even to this day. Wow. Yeah. You you see, so my point is that this culture was equal for men and women. And throughout the thousands of years that followed and the overthrow of this culture and replacement with a patriarchal system that is the foundation and the root of the Semitic, Judeo-Christian, Islamic cultures. Like the precursor to all of them. Yes. Yeah. 
you know it was replaced by this um, um, islam in this uh, in this uh, situation but we have to acknowledge that islam is a western religion its roots is in judaism which is also the roots for christianity you know so when this was uh, replaced the culture changed and so it became more antagonistic towards women and since the islamic regime that has kind of like been pushed to overdrive and so women are not allowed to practice this art and they were not allowed even to enter the zurkhane or the temple of strength where these arts are practiced today they can enter but they cannot practice they cannot enter the inner sanctum of the temple which is the octagon where uh, the warriors they practice and i'm trying to change that and with the as i mentioned through the internet and through uh, the freedom of living in a western society i have been quite successful sharing this art with both men and women but in particular with women who uh, want to experience that strength it's not an easy art you have practiced you have experienced it you know extremely challenging yeah but doesn't mean women can't do it you know there are those who can and i appreciate them how do you find it in terms of spreading that message here um something that we've spoken about in the past is that uh, i see it as a great challenge to to bring a complete system like that and to be able to take someone that's you know here living in australia and go hey check out this system holds a lot of benefit for you there's so much in it it's almost in a way it's a it's a it's a belief system it's a it's a view yeah it's, it's a, a culture. Pro, it's a culture right yeah. um i'm a great example i enjoy practicing parts of it mm-hmm. and my bias is towards the strength stuff you know i i have a couple of meal and i like to practice those and you know you gave me a shanna and i like to practice with that um how do you see it playing out in that situation where there's probably an amount of reception to some of the culture but not all actually it's great because there is so much to it there's something in it for everyone and that's what's so great about it you know uh the first point of attraction in particular in the western culture it is the strange stuff it is what the fancy stuff like the clubs and people are swinging in around and they're like oh that looks cool i want to be cool too you know but when you get into it there is so much more as i said i've been practicing and learning for 17 years and i'm still learning and i'm still developing and growing it is a way of life of course but it is not impossible to do it because it has been done before Yogananda did it with Hatha Yoga in the 50s when he went from India to Chicago first in the US and started spreading yoga and look at what yoga is today. Bruce Lee did it with Kung Fu and uh, Wing Chun and he took it from Hong Kong into the US and started spreading that and look at uh, it and martial arts today, you know. So uh, not to compare myself with those people but I'm thinking if it has been done before why can it be done again and this art is so rich it's so big and so beneficial it is my duty to share it because you just got to experience it you will feel it and 
they, it will it will help you grow not just only in physical strength, spiritual strength, emotional well-being, mental resilience. There's so much to it, as a complete holistic art should be and can be. To those points, yoga, Wing Chun, there would be a lot of uh, a lot of purists who would argue that those systems have been destroyed and pulled apart and rebranded and appropriated and all those things. Um, that's one side of the coin. The other side is that they've also been propagated all over the world and it's now these things are household names and you know they're understood in part by a huge mass of the, the global population. How do you view that? Is there, is, there an, is there a part of you that wants to retain the purity or do you kind of, are you like, no, I'm, I'm happy for elements of this to, to be integrated and, and to have influence? This is a very good question because uh, in my heart and what I teach is the traditional way, the authentic way. This is what uh, is very important to me to share with other people. Then how you adopt it, it goes back to my original point. I believe in freedom of choice. If you want to adopt certain parts of it, you do that. If you do it with respect, I will appreciate you. The whole culture will appreciate you and you showing your own authenticity. That is up to you. You know, I'm only here to give. I hope this answers your question. It does. It does, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Freedom of choice piece. This is the essential uh, human quality, you know. But this is what separates us from animals. We can choose what we do and we suffer the consequences. May it be good or bad. Better or worse. Here's a, here's a question kind of on the same track but maybe um, kind of different lens. Like a lot of the questions I'm asking you today, I'm sort of trying to form them in, the, in my head because they're, they're big topics, right? Like what we're touching yeah. on, it's big stuff. This is why I like talking with you though. We have to have like several series of conversations yeah, just I mean, to go through in the deep com- topic. That, you know? That's right, bro. The, the topic of masculinity. Now, patriarchal societies, um, oppression of females, masculine culture, toxic masculinity, big... big big things right now in the world but especially here in the west right this discussion of toxic masculinity and you know it gives like and you see it i'm I completely acknowledge it right toxic masculinity I, I don't fully understand exactly what it means but but as i take it it's like the the extreme side of masculinity that is unhealthy and disrespectful to others and you know whatever um problematic what that makes for so for me here with the gym and with my my views on the importance of strength training my views on the importance of physical liberation and self-expression and those being almost rites of passage for people it's more now than ever right because there is no collective struggle here these are these are vehicles that we can use to 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 grow ourselves as individuals and that leads to a healthier collective and a, a healthier society healthier planet but it's it's treading fine ground because some of those views verge on what others might view as toxic right if i'm talking about you know i think it's important as an example for for a young male to lift weights 
and do strength training. I think it's important. And, and actually, I, I should I, I, I say um, it, male or female, I think that building muscle is a good thing. I think it's a bit of a rite of passage to go through that thing where you want to you get big and you want to get strong. I think that's great. You know? I don't think that should define your, your life, but I think it's a, it's a great thing to go through and experience. The, what I found Persian yoga does is it sort of embodies masculinity in a way that seems extremely well-rounded to me. It seems very well thought out. It seems to very clearly sort of present it in a way that anyone could go, wow, that's, I see no negativity in that. All I see is sort of wholesomeness. Of course, there would be people beyond the fringe would say, you know, I, I, just, I, I don't believe, I don't agree with that. Can you talk to me about this, this, this sort of, this line of what's considered positive masculinity and maybe what's considered not? Sure. And I will be sharing just my personal opinion here. And that is that I don't believe in toxic masculinity. I believe there is masculinity and there is arrogance. There is femininity and there is arrogance. I don't believe the essential archetypal, for a lack of a better word, gender archetypes are inherently toxic. They are just feminine and masculine. They are just, okay? How that is internalized and expressed to the individual, that is what makes it toxic in a way, in a, depending on the context, okay? So arrogance is a big thing. In our art, the essential ethos is strength and humility. And the archetype that we are uh, referring to is the archetype of the warrior poet that well-roundedness that you said he is a warrior but he's also an artist he is when i say he i mean this is a limitation of the english language that you have to define he or she in persian language we don't say he or she we just referred by the third person genderless Right. Okay, so I have to use English, so it is he or she uh, equivalent. It is that uh, he is strong like a cedar tree that can bend its head in the wind and be humble. That's what we aspire to. And if you find that strength within yourself, you set that journey uh, of uh, building muscle and going through the strength, you know, I will just call it the strength of the j- journey of strength. If you're going through this journey of strength, and you are doing it within this, this it's been set up, and you have experienced it. You have experienced it, my man. That you come in with an idea, and you are confronted by the reality, and it humbles you. The clubs humble you, mm. you know, and that is what creates these rounded edges. There's no sharp, it's circle. It's a circle, it's complete circle. It's, there's no sharp edges to it. And that is thanks to the philosophy and ethos of this culture that I explained. It's strength and humility. So if you apply yourself, the product of the system is repeatable. That's why it is a system. You know, you go through the system, you come out the other side, a warrior. 
That's what it was meant to do, and that's what it has been doing for over 2,000 years. And it's successful at that. It's recognized as the world's oldest running form of strength conditioning for martial arts. It's repeatable, and it produces results. That's why it's still around. And so I believe in the system. And I am, as a human being, imperfect inherently, as everyone else, but I tried my best to express and explain this. You talked earlier on, uh, you used the word truth. Can you define that? How, you know, in the, in the way that you use it, right, in Persian yoga, like it, it's, it sounds powerful. What, what does it actually mean? Truth is an individual experience. Truth cannot be contained in words. Truth, words are just signposts, are just directions pointing towards it. But it's a personal, individual experience of uh, who you really are. And that's the best way I can explain it. Because people say, this is my truth, this is my truth, this is your truth. You know, truth is one. Okay? Then there is an experience of that oneness, of that truth within yourself. You can call that my truth, but it cannot deviate from the universal truth, from that oneness. And people try to give it names and um, labels, but then it's no longer true. Hmm. Yeah, I hear that. It's a deep one, man. It is. I mean, everything that everything you say is a deep one. Thank you. I mean, th- that's the heart. <laughs> it's, the, it's it's the way of the heart. Yeah, it's the way of the heart. The way of the heart is only through experience, personal experience. That's why no isms can contain it. That's why in this ancient culture we have no name for it. We just call it the good religion. Right. That's what it's referred to that's as. That's what it's referred to as. There is no ism because as soon as you try to contain it within words, it's groupthink, it's separation. The way of the heart is unity, no separation. But I understand, and this is again uh, the Western culture, it's reductionistic. It's tried to find the most sin- single one denominator of anything. That's why we categorize things. I mean, uh, you're a strength coach and athlete you understand that to be able to explain certain movements, you have to break it down into the anatomy of it. But that's not the experience of the body. You know, the experience of the body is the movement, the wholeness of that movement. But to understand things, we need to break it down. But as they say, the devil is in the detail. Right, so what you're getting at there is part of the process is being able to isolate things but don't that's not the thing to focus like that's not that that's shouldn't it. become the thing that's it the thing is the whole that's it to quote one of my first idols and still like um, very important in my life don't focus on the finger because you will miss all the glorious heavenly that is the moon <laughs> enter the dragon reference for those who don't know yeah beautiful um, man, great spot to wrap it on. Tell me what you got coming up. Where can people find your stuff if there's any workshops that are coming up? Thank you. Well, 
PersianYoga.com, Instagram at PersianYoga. I try to share this art as far and wide as I can. I found the online forum to work very well on that context. I'm also available uh, here in Sydney to those who are seekers. I have a workshop coming up in Brisbane on 26th of March and uh, hopefully be able to do more work here with you and sharing this art that I love so much with anyone who's interested. So do look me up and be tireless in your strength and in what you do. Thank you for the opportunity to share what I love here. And it's always good to see you, man. Always, man. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll put links uh, to your website, to the Instagram account in the show notes so you can find Kashi through those. Um, Thank you for making the time, man. Always means a lot to me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) 